Hey, everybody. We love that you're benefiting from this show. Because we are a do-it-yourself podcast, we would ask that you help spread our message by sharing the podcast with somebody that you think may get value from it. Remember, you are the most important part of the show. Thank you. We at The Other Side of Hell podcast are not therapists, doctors, or counselors. We're just two guys who have been through hell and come out the other side. Please be aware, we may talk about drinking and drugging in detail. Anyone struggling with addiction may find this triggering. Our goal is to share our stories, explore our struggles, and connect with others through our experience. Remember, we are not alone. There is hope, and together we can get better. Hey everybody, you're watching the Other Side of Hell podcast. I am Cameron. And I'm Willie. And I bet some people are listening too. Yeah. They might just be listening. I know some people that just listen. I know some people that just watch. Yeah. Which we this, appreciate. This show is for you. I wore cologne. <laughs> Which you get. Yeah. Yeah. What? For, for those who those who sm- just smell the show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they 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 will benefit. Yeah. It's Stetson. Yeah. Well, I can tell. Yeah, okay. You're amazing. I, I may have worn it for you. Yeah. I feel like if if you smell me, then you're gonna have a better show. And I actually feel like I do it for you. Thank you. I'm covering up the endorphins that will make you want to make out with me <laughs> during the show. I don't want things to get too distracting. Yeah, well, I give up. <laughs> you should give up. You should surrender to your feelings. Yeah. Surrender to the moment, Willie. I do. Give in. I am. Give in to me. I'm giving in. Dude. To this dude, whole thing. I, I, uh, I am. It's good to be here, man. I'm glad, totally. to, glad to be here for another episode of, uh, of the other the other side of hell podcast. Uh, you know, we are here to remind you that there is the other side of hell. Yeah. And we are on it. Life um, is better on this side of the table. And I'm, I'm really grateful for that. It didn't come without a level of surrender. That's right. A great level of a lot of different surrendering. And I still surrender today. Yeah. I have to surrender. Um, on a daily basis. And, and that's our topic today is surrender. Um, and, I, and I really wanted to talk about surrender because I feel like uh, I've had uh, some moments recently where I've had to, uh, to, to just let go. Yeah. You know, to just, to just sort of accept that, uh, that I don't know everything mm-hmm. and that I, I, I may need help from other people. I need other people to, to, help, to help me. Yeah. You know? And that to me is what surrender is. Like when, when, uh, when you hear surrender, what do you think? I want to talk about. I, I want to talk about like what what I think a lot of people think, but I want to hear what you think when you hear the word surrender first. Uh, the word surrender um, sounds very peaceful to me today. Like ah, it's a it's a safe place. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I, I like that you phrase that with today. Yeah, it was. It didn't all. You know, it used to be no surrender. Yeah. Over no. my dead body. Yeah. No retreat, no yeah. surrender. Does yeah. anybody remember that horrible 80s karate movie? All right, that's just me, but that's okay. <laughs> I probably would if uh, you told me what it was, but. I think it had Eric Roberts in it. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can move on. Yeah, okay. Um, no, because I, I think that a lot of people, when they hear the word surrender, at least I did, you know, like I, I thought of a white flag. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, you know, like, like the, the enemy coming over the hill with the white flag, they have just surrendered. What does that mean? It means we take them captive. 
and we are now in control of it. Right. You know, so for me to surrender, because, you know, I think I heard that early on, man, you just got to surrender. Yeah. You, you just got to surrender. And I was like, what the fuck does that even mean? I don't like the sound of that. Yeah. Like, I don't even know what, what it means. And yeah. Like, I, I, I know what it means today. Mm-hmm. But, you know, then it sounded like giving up. Like, well, that's exactly what it means. Like, <laughs> you've got to, you've got to give up, right? Like, you've yeah. got to. I, I had to give up on my own ideas and thoughts about how I was going to get sober. Exactly. And I had to accept that I didn't know anything. Well, and that didn't that didn't come without a level of experimentation, right? Like, like we we tried it on our own for a long time. I know I certainly did. Like, oh. there were so many different ways, and it, and I just thought, okay, so if I go back to like age twenty two, twenty three. Right, just the height of my fucking drug addiction and alcoholism, because at, at 24 I went into treatment after a sting operation and jail time and and all that stuff. I went into treatment, and that's where the the seed of recovery was really planted. But I I knew I was fucked up, oh, right? Yeah. I knew that I was fucked up when I was 24, and I, I would try different shit, but I thought I had it figured out, right? I thought that well, I don't think I'm gonna drink. Uh, I'm not going to drink whiskey tonight. Yeah. This weekend. I'm not going to, I'm not going to drink bourbon. Right. I just drink beer right. and do, do some meth and like, just take it easy. And, <laughs> and like, yeah, I mean, it's just, that's, that just seems like the craziest statement yeah. in retrospect. Like I'm just going to, I'm just going to drink and take meth and make it easy <laughs> this weekend. Like, not get crazy. That, that's an easy weekend. You know, not to downplay anybody's, you know, where they're at because I mean, it was a dark place for me, right? Because what came along with the inability to, 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 you know, see that decision through came a lot of shame and self doubt, right? Because I started realizing that I could not, not drink that way, mm-hmm. you know, regardless of my best intentions. I, I, I drank any time it touched my lips, it went in my body. And anytime it went in my body, it continued to go into my body. Right. And so I would, Originally, you know, early on in my life, I surrendered to the disease very early. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I surrendered to the the politics of the street, you know, those, you know, being a being a criminal and gang member and, and all those things. I surrendered to those rules in that lifestyle very early on. And right. Then, you sort of like you let the disease lead the way. Yeah. Yeah. It seemed seemed like a good idea at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, but there wasn't enough education, uh, personal personal education experience in what happens by surrendering to that way of life to make a decision that's going to change the direction that I was going. You know, mm-hmm. I, I ended up where I ended up because I surrendered to my disease. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, what it, what it reminds me of, like, as you're saying it is, is uh, you know, the... The, the part of the big book that talks about how we, we do not sufficiently remember our last <laughs> drunk, right? Like, there's no, there's no amount of remembering how bad it was the last time it happened that's going to stop me from doing it again. Even the next day. Yeah, well, right, right. Yeah, yeah. especially. Like, and, and, and I definitely had my own attempts to quit. I remember just drinking wine for a bit like everything that they talk I'm about trying to be classy yeah, i'm the, just gonna be classy oh yeah but i drink wine out of a box into a big gold cup 
I mean, it was <laughs> it was not classy, right? But like, there was this part like, if I just drink wine, I'll be okay. Yeah. Like, but nobody drinks that much wine every night, you know? Like, it's not. And I and I tried to just just do pills or you know just smoke weed or yeah. ju- uh, you know just all these just things. Just take it easy. Yeah, yeah, to take it easy. And and I have some crazy horrible stories that I. I, I make it into on a later show about my own attempts to, you know, quit in a very dramatic fashion. Sure. You know, um, that obviously were unsuccessful. That, you know what, like in all honesty, led me a little bit closer to getting the help that I needed. Mm-hmm. So it was not all in vain, right? Right. Like, especially in there, in one instance, I had to quit myself. By the end of it, I I had to come out and tell my family that I had a problem. Sure. And that facilitated a little bit more of the help I actually needed. Well, that's a that's a great example of surrender. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it really is. Yeah, starting to sort of tell the people in your life, uh, the important <laughs> yeah, kinda, people, kind of kind of giving it up, giving up the fight. Like, well, like maybe I can't do this alone. Yeah, the and thought it, comes. And well, just in speaking the words out loud, right? Like saying. I, I, I have a problem, you know, like I have a problem with this. And even at that time, I think, you know, I wasn't ready to accept the full scope of the problem. It mm-hmm. was like, well, I have a problem with pills, but I don't know if booze is actually a problem. You know what I mean? Right. Um, well, it, it gets confusing sometimes, especially with the alcoholic mind, you know, like we'll, we'll try to, we'll try to like attempt to take one over the other and like, gosh, I just. Every time I drink tequila, I get in a fight. Right. And that's because I forget that a lot of times when I drink bourbon, I get in a fight too. But like every time I drank tequila, I got in a fight. Yeah. It seemed like, you know, and so I just won't drink tequila. And then pat myself on the back about how noble I am in my attempts to control the situation and, right. and show the world that I have this thing that I'm not as out of control as I was last night you know right. now that i can see that people are being hurt but eventually it gets so fucking heavy that it can't be denied mm-hmm. you know and if if a person i know for me like if if a person is sitting there questioning whether or not the people they hurt last night may have been affected by their drinking because they were drinking and they hurt people that they loved you know which was my case often uh that they might have a problem mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. And then surrendering to that, I have a problem. It gets fucking dicey, man. I mean, it's it's a process. Oh yeah, yeah. Like I mean, what I think of is you know, it, I it's like I couldn't see the forest through the trees, right? Like I knew I knew that that uh, that something was a problem. Mm-hmm. That that I was taking all these different things to to basically alter my state of mind, and that. I wasn't willing to not alter that state of mind. Right. You know what I mean? And it, and it never really occurred to me to like look past that and say, why am I needing something? Like, right. I'm, I'm willing to like say, Oh, it's the alcohol. So I'll just do pills or, Oh, it's pills. So I'll just take alcohol. But like, why is there, why is there this need at all to, to take anything, to alter anything? You know what I mean? And really, like, looking at that and being like, 
Okay, and that that actually wasn't a conclusion that I was able to come to until I surrendered, mm-hmm. you know, and then got down the road a ways and looked back and been like, what what's so bad about my situation that I felt the need to always be fucked up, you know? Like, was it really just because, like, oh, I'm 28, and that's what people do when they're 28, you know? They're always drinking or partying. I don't want to miss out on that scene. Right. You know what I mean? So, like... I've got to have something that I can do for fun, quote unquote fun. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like, no, that turns out that wasn't it at all. Like I have a spiritual malady, right? Like I have, I have this thing inside me that, that this vacant hole that, you know, I want to fill with an external substance, mm-hmm. you know? And, and again, like I wasn't able to come to that conclusion until I finally like let go of my expectations let go of my own solutions long enough to say, okay, I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing and I need somebody to show me what to do. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's the, and then you raise your hand and say, how, yeah, Mm -hmm. how, and that's where, you know, we had a, we had a uh, episode on faith not too long ago and acceptance. And that's where, that's where it comes in. Right. Like, like I am fucking broken and here's all the ways that I've tried to, to heal myself. And, and so often, you know, like we'll do everything right. You know, we'll do, we'll do all the things that, that we're supposed to do like with, with school and career or, you know, changing our lives or diet and exercise. And then we still end up in this place where we don't feel complete. Right. Mm-hmm. And I have to, I have to step back and, and recognize that the way I view myself is broken, right? That there's always going to be some, some part of me that sees me as less than, mm-hmm. and I have to kind of look at, you know, how do I fix that? How do I accept that? How do I, how do I move into a place where I can use that as an asset or, or whatever, but I have to give up the idea that I'm okay. Right. Yeah. I have to. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if I can never admit that I'm broken, then I may never be able to be fixed. Right. Right. And, and that's that I look back throughout my whole life and the goal and the hope through, through all of my dysfunction was to try to find a place where I felt loved and accepted. Even though I was loved and accepted, I was trying to find a place where I felt love and accepted because Mm -hmm. people around me, cared right yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know they cared yeah what and else were they going to do to show that to show exactly that? what what would have worked you right. know I, I look back when i was a kid my fuck my poor parents they tried everything with me mm-hmm. yeah they bribed me they paid me they loved me they grounded me mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like nothing nothing worked for for whatever reason you know and and I look at where my path has led me to where I'm at today is the man that I am. And I'm grateful for all that. Right. I'm grateful for all the pain and adversity that brought me to the place where I'm at today. Mm-hmm. You know, all the different times that I've surrendered and I still surrender to this thing today. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's funny because it seems like, uh, you know, there, not too long ago we, we talked about surrender, you and I individually, and we were just talking about how, you know, each day I sort of have a, uh, a decision. I can either wake up and surrender to the disease or I can surrender to the solution, mm-hmm. you know. And, and 
What is, what is, so this, you're five years sober mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. right? Married. Married. Uh, career of choice, right? You're, yeah. You're, yeah. you're in a career that you chose, uh, you know, love your home. You got, you got, you got all the things. Yeah. Right? Uh, so, so what would, what would a day of surrendering to the disease look like for you? Like, like I feel like, like I can, I can. A, a day now, five years down the road, sober from drugs and alcohol, um, a, a day of a day of surrendering to the disease is complete isolation. You know, like not talking to anybody, literally just like escaping my reality now via television and food. Mm-hmm. You know, so like it might it might be, you know, I'll hit the grocery stores and stock upon candy and then. You know, get some takeout food, and you know, then later in the day, get some more takeout food. You know, ignore my phone, and just do do the bare minimum. That's me surrendering to the disease today, mm-hmm. because that's the disease how it manifests itself, and it's in my life today. And what's funny is like that when the disease, when when I hear the disease tell me that I want to do this, that that it's a good idea. <clears throat> It makes it sound so fun. <laughs> like it's like it's gonna be the best day ever. Uh, you know? <laughs> and it's like I'll be like whistling down the grocery aisle. Ooh yeah, gonna get me some licorice. Like, yeah, gonna be a good day. <clears throat> and then, you know, never feels that way, you no. know. And 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 then I just end up, you know, really hating myself and it's the disease all over again. It's like, man, like I used to do the same thing with with drugs and alcohol, you know, mm-hmm. get really fucking excited, you know, like on my way to go see the weed man, on my way to see the pill man, on my way to the liquor store, like whatever it is, right? And and uh, and then get it and consume it and go, well, that didn't do what I thought it was gonna do, right? You know, I either need more, or I gotta fucking knock this shit off, and that's and that's pretty much exactly like where I found myself. You know, my last surrender to drugs and alcohol was was you know i you know I, I secured a bunch of 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 my drug of choice and alcohol and consumed it all and went that didn't work right now what you know and it was like literally in my mind i'm thinking i got to upgrade to harder drugs or i got to get some fucking help and luckily i chose to get help you know and that yeah. was because i'd already been through treatment once so I'd already seen what upgrading to that other drug did to people. And so luckily I at least had that experience under my belt that I knew in that situation mm-hmm. that I really just had to surrender. And I did, man. Like when I went I went back into a treatment program again and I just went in with a complete clean slate. I said, I don't know shit about fuck. Yeah. Y'all better teach me, and I will listen and do whatever you guys tell me to do. And, uh, and surrender like a mob. Yeah, that's, I mean, and that's what I did, you know. And like, and you know, you talk about how it manifests itself today. Well, that's most recently the way that I have surrendered is I found myself in these situations where I give into the disease, and even if it's not a whole day of the disease, it's a couple hours of the disease or, you know, whatever, one meal of the disease or, 
you know, just really settling into these character defects, sloth, laziness, lust, you know, greed, selfishness, all this stuff, right? And, uh, and, and, you know, having that happen long enough over a period of time and trying to solve the issues again, like myself, like coming up with these solutions. Oh, well, maybe I'll intermittent fast. Maybe I'll, mm-hmm. you know, like maybe I'll try keto. Maybe I'll, you know, oh, I'm going to limit my workouts to three days a week. So it's not too overburdensome or, you know, like just all these, again, like all these different solutions, right. And have none of them work and be like, okay, <laughs> all right. I give up. Yeah. I need some help, you know, and, and, and let somebody come in and call the shots for a minute. And then again, have faith that what they're telling me will work. Right. Right. So yeah, that's, I mean, that's how I surrender today. What about you? Well, surrender, surrender applied with, with a cup full of willingness, right? Like, right. Yeah. Like that, that willing to do what is suggested because you know, as, as you were sharing your experience here as of late, I can really identify, you know, in the, in the willingness to do what is suggested can sometimes be difficult, but I think that, and and we've discussed this, I think that, uh, we've been so conditioned to not trust ourselves. And and a lot of it is, is based on poor decision-making on our own end, Mm -hmm. right? Um, a lot of the decisions that we made, a lot of the actions based in the decisions that we made let us down negative places, right? But if I can go back and I can reevaluate my life, I heard a still small voice inside of me saying not to do these things, you know, like, like, um, when I, when I was a kid, I knew I didn't need to be smoking. I fucking knew that I didn't, but I didn't know that not smoking would allow me to still be accepted within that group. Like the desire to be accepted within the group of kids that I was hanging out with, that were also smoking was stronger than my desire for Mm -hmm. self-preservation as a child. And that continued in through drug addiction, alcoholism, uh, uh, unhealthy sexual behavior, you know, stealing violence. Well, and I just want to point out too, that the reason that you knew that you had that inner voice inside of you was because the guilt you felt afterwards, right? That was part of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you, why would you feel guilty if, if there was nothing inside of you that felt like it was yeah. wrong. Right. Like there's this, there's this thing that I want to live, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's so loud within our culture, at least, at least the way that I've seen it through, um, social media and social gatherings and peer pressure and, and all the things that created all the things that I gathered to create who I was, my identity, right. A lot of it, was built around not trusting yourself, you know, Mm -hmm. don't, don't listen to this, listen to that. Right. And so when it comes to like trusting yourself, okay, let's go to the food for a minute. Okay. In my family, food is a demonstration of love. My mom did not feed me junk food because she hated me. Right, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> My mom did not take me out for ice cream as a kid to show me love when I was sad because she hated me. She she did it. And so as as I moved forward in life, using food as a way to to self-medicate, right? Eventually as the pounds started packing on, the self-esteem got to started getting lower, 
you know, the vision that I had for myself started disappearing. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the voice inside of me said, you need to stop this. I pushed that away and said, no, no, no. This is how I show I love myself. This is I work towards being able to do these negative things. And somehow it got disrupted. It got it got distorted. The the difference between self-love and self-destruction. Right. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be accepted as a kid. So I smoked because I was looking for love. I wanted to, to be accepted. I wanted to feel loved. And so I was promiscuous. Right. Like um, because if if I had enough sex with enough people, I could go to those same other people and brag about how much sex I was having. Or if I drank a certain amount, I could like somehow it, it leveled me up in in the eyes of, of my ego or whatever. I could do these negative things at a higher level and then I would be more accepted, therefore be more loved. And so throughout all that stuff, right, there's moments where I can go back in my mind and I can remember, you know, like like my 21st birthday, you know. I remember leaving the bar on my 21st birthday before I wrecked my truck because I wrecked my truck on my 21st birthday hmm. drunk. Okay. Hmm. And I, I remember hearing that voice saying, fucking don't drive. <laughs> you know, and I even, think even, even though you were already drunk, even though I was already drunk and it happened a lot. I think, I think that a lot of people can identify with that, that, that inability to trust ourselves to do the right thing. Yeah, I just think that it becomes easier to ignore that inner voice sure. when we're intoxicated, which sure. is why we're always out to do it. Sure. Right. And 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 luckily this time this time around I surrendered to my conscience, not to my ego. My conscience said you need to get fucking sober and you need to shut the fuck up and do whatever this guy tells you to do. He's been sober for 27 years, you know, and I'm talking about my first sponsor. I'm talking mm-hmm. about this, the guy that got me sober um, because I had tried enough things. I had tried it enough different times to know that whatever it is I thought I knew about change was not accurate, you know. And, and what came out of that is this new way of life, this new way of looking at things, this new way of trusting myself to do the next right thing. You know, in AA, one of the big things is... You know, they say first thought wrong. You ever heard that? First thought wrong. I don't. I don't know if I have. I mean, I, I probably have. I would imagine somewhere at some point. But. What about don't trust your first thought? Sure. sure. What about uh, me and my own head is in bad company? Yes. You know that absolutely. All all those. I, I've things. said that on the podcast. You know, um, and I think all those things are true early on. Sure. Right. But as we surrender to a process that 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 shows to ourselves that we can make the next right choice even when we're alone it gets better and better and better right yeah i would agree i would agree that that gets better you know it gets to where being in my own head isn't you know i kind of clean up my neighborhood kind of thing mm-hmm. you know as as we clean up our diets and we clean up our homes and our bodies and our minds you know and make amends making amends <laughs> all those things uh but surrendering to a process that works for people like us is just a good idea. If you be alcoholic, like I be alcoholic. Yeah. Right? Like I want what you have. Right. Right. You know, I want the peace of mind that you seem to have, you know? And so I try to do the things that you do. Right. Mm-hmm. And so 
you know, as you discuss what surrendering to your disease looks like, there's a process that I surrender to the solution today also, mm-hmm. you know, which I think is a very good idea. Once, once you can establish what that solution is, and it looks different for everybody. We're proving that on this podcast, oh, yeah. you know, that, oh, yeah. that the solution is, is different. It seems like the pain is the same. The emotions, the same, the outcome is the same. But the solution is different, mm-hmm. right? And that's so pretty, pretty neat. It's a good thing. Yeah, it's it's great. It's pretty neat because we are all different, right? Yeah. So, how do you surrender to the solution? What's your solution? Um. <clears throat> well, I think it's uh by by trusting you know that the the daily routine that I have I'm sorry I kind of got a little lost in your conversation but yeah I do but, that to you long winded Willie I was, I was hypnotized <laughs> for a minute <laughs> Kevin's like dude oh it's my turn yeah cal- oh. calm it down <laughs> you talk too much no dude but I I think honestly like to to surrender to the solution for me now is is a lot of trust right mm-hmm. it's a lot of it's a lot of like really you know, I, I know that I've laid down a certain amount of, of um, routine, things that I do on a daily basis to sort of surrender. And, and I trust that if I do those things, for the most part, I'm going to have a day filled with, with uh, a connection to something greater than myself that will hopefully guide me through the day. Like whether that's, you know, higher power, spirit, vibration you know, whatever you want to call it, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's the highest version of myself. And so surrendering to the solution for me now is just a lot of acceptance, right? Like just accept that this is what is and and move the fuck on and like get over it. Because like, you know, like whining or wanting it to be different is not going to change it. And, you know, you've, you've, you've been down that road, right? You know, where it leads the experience, you know, is use that experience or I use that experience to hopefully prevent me from doing it again, you know, or, or, or descending down that road again. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the reason why we, we wanted to talk about this, um, was because I, I was just having a conversation with you and I was like, you know, I'm, I'm doing this thing right now. I'm on this sort of diet and, and uh, working with a personal trainer and like I'm really settling into it right but I I had to get to this place with it where I almost fucking caved man like I you know I found myself in a situation where you know I was I kind of was thrown into some work stuff unexpectedly and then some additional work stuff happened on top of it and I was far from home and and yada 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 you know there was just all these different things that were making it difficult to adhere to everything that I had to do that day, right? And and you know, like my mind, dude, the the, the fucking addict is talking to me, dude, <laughs> coming out swinging, just telling me, dude, like today's the day. Yeah, you gotta give, give in today. Give me. Go on. It's gonna make you feel better. You had a bad day. <laughs> just do it. <laughs> you know, and so. Um, but, you know, in that moment, I, call, I called my AA sponsor. Mm-hmm. I was like, dude, like, this, this is sort of what's happening. And, and, uh, and it was good for me to talk about, like, regardless. I could have probably called anybody in that moment. You know what I mean? Or at least anybody I know, you know. Um, 
because luckily I surround myself with a group of people that understand how that feels, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, but anyways, so I sort of had to get through that moment and there were days leading up to that day where I was also very tempted, but didn't, you know, but that day was the worst. I went home. I didn't give in. I ate the food I was supposed to eat. I went to bed. I woke up the next day and, and I, immediately hopped on the scale i was like last night was rough i gotta know that this is working and i hopped on the scale and i saw you know like some positive results and i was like okay and it seems like every day since then has been much much easier much Mm -hmm. more relaxed and i've settled into it to now it's like this is just how it is right you know and i was telling you that it seems like there's just this switch that flips in my mind that, that that is no longer having to push through so much resistance to do all this stuff or white knuckling is what it feels like right um and it's just sort of accepted and surrendered and given into this to this sort of way of life for right now, you know and uh and we were trying to come up with like well, what is that when that switch flips what is that you know and it feels like well it's surrender yeah. on some level you know, um, and, and, and the thing is too, is I remember a very, very similar situation when I was using drugs and alcohol. Like I was, I think I was one month sober and I had an abscessed tooth and, uh, and I was freaking out, dude, because my face was swollen and I was in a hell of a lot of pain. I called my dentist on a Thursday and he was unavailable until Tuesday. He was out of the state, you know? And, uh, and of course I'm just like, I got to get some for this pain, this pain, this pain, you know, and that was my drug of choice. Right. And so, you know, like I, I talked to, to his nurse who, who basically said, well, I can talk to the dentist next door and see if he can maybe write you a script for, for, for Percocet or something like until the doctor gets into town. And I'm like, no. It should say in my chart. It should say because I tell everybody, right? right? I tell everybody that that you know, like it's a I'm, safety net. Yeah, exactly. Like, just so you know, I'm a recovering alcoholic addict, and you know, I should not. Don't give me pain pills. Is basically what I say. And uh, and I said it should it should say in my chart. And she said it does. I just figured if you're in pain. <laughs> And it was just like a lesser heart. Yeah, exactly. It was just, you know, very well-meaning. Yeah. Um, another reminder though, just how, you know, some people don't, don't understand. But <clears throat> again, another situation where I'm just like, my mind is just justifying the hell out of it. Right? Yeah. Had a sponsor at that time. I called him and talked to him about it and, uh, and ended up, I think really like to take my mind off of it. I like exercise my way through it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, Somehow I made it through that, and after that moment, nothing else felt as tempting. Right. You know what I mean? Like, after that moment, it was like, well, if I can get through that, I can get through this. Yeah. And so, sort of the same thing, you know? That's, that's just how it feels. It's like some, some sort of switch flips, and I have now surrendered to the solution. I'm no longer living in the disease. Yeah. You kind of, kind of build on your successes mm-hmm. as, it, as it goes, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And it's important. It's it's so important to look back and have that have that um, perspective of how far you've come. 
you know, mm-hmm. it really is to, to experiment with success in this fight for a life worth living, which is really what we're doing. Right. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, oh, yeah. and, and it's funny how once that surrender happens, the amount of weight that seems to lift off of my shoulders. Right. Because it's, it is, it's like I'm fighting and fighting and mm-hmm. fighting. I'm fighting the thought. I'm fighting the action. I'm fighting the emotion. I'm fighting the way that it feels, you know, it's just throwing punches left and right, mm-hmm. left and right, left and right, left and right. All of a sudden it's like, throw my hands in there. Fuck. Okay. I'm calling Cameron. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And then well, why didn't I do this sooner? Right. Well, takes practice mm-hmm. you know it takes time you know and early early on it didn't it didn't alleviate the way that it does now surrender you know it's, surrender was something i had to process early on so you know if you're new you know for for people that are new you know surrendering doesn't always feel great right off the bat oh, Some, yeah. sometimes you can feel surrender immediately sometimes you don't feel it at all until after the action's been made and the the, the, you, you produce the result, you know, the, the result of surrender. And then you, I can look back and be like, oh, yeah, that's what surrender looks like. Mm-hmm. It looks like days of success strung together. Well, yeah, exactly. And on that note, I was just thinking, like, you know, <clears throat> oftentimes when I did go back to treatment that last, you know, the last time, like, hopefully my last time, but the last time that I was there, like, I... I had to surrender to each individual moment. It wasn't just like I was surrendering to the fact that I had a problem. It's like, yes, I was doing that, but I was doing that through like surrendering to these little things each day. Like there, you know, the first two or three days I was in there and I think anybody that's new can totally understand this feeling where it's like, maybe I'm not ready for this. (laughs) Maybe I'm, this is too soon. Like maybe, you know, and it's like, well, I'm just going to sit here for now. You know, like I'm not going to bolt yet. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's yeah. like, so, uh, uh, and, and that's how it goes today. It's like, well, I'm, I'm going to eat this food now Yes. and kick the can down the road. Like, Hey man, who the fuck knows what's going to happen? Like, you know, two weeks, a month, a year from now. Right. right. And, and, but I know that right now I'm just going to sit here and listen to what this motherfucker is saying because you know, maybe I don't know everything. Right? right. So a lot of little surrenders, you know, to one big problem are really like sort of what, what helped me in those early days. Yeah. Equals solution. Right. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. Mm-hmm. It's crazy how that works. Right. And I, I'm just, I'm, you know, incredibly grateful for it. I am too. Big time. You know, I, I love the life that I have today based on, the principle of surrender because I surrender a lot during the day, especially to my monkey mind and the desire to harm myself. It's, it's there. Mm. It's that it's there. I mean, physically or just in every way, emotional, mostly emotionally now. Like, like I don't like being hurt anymore, but there's a deep trauma that goes along with the lifestyle that we've lived that doesn't just go away even after years and in years of, of sobriety and work, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's a daily process. It really is. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the longer that I'm on this side of the table, the more I'm starting to realize that and the more I'm enjoying 
the process of solution. You know, the more I'm enjoying surrender, the more I'm enjoying learning about different ways to surrender and what I'm surrendering to and, and finding all the different ways that I have to surrender and, and all the tricks that my mind can play in order to try to get me to a day of living in the disease, yeah. like you were talking about, where I end up alone, harming myself, thinking that this is going to be a good day. Yeah. And it ends up setting me back two, three, four days. Right, you know, right. Putting me in a position where, like, maybe a drink does sound good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the concern is that, like, if I live in the disease long enough, like, no matter what it looks like, like, whether it's food or whatever the case is, like, even if it's just, you know, a bunch of negative behavior or, you know, like, all all my character defects built up in one fucking felt swoop, you know, Mm -hmm. and I, I live in the disease for X amount of dates strung together. Like, how long before a drink starts sounding good? Right. Or how long before I'm in the wrong situation, um, you know, where, where it sounds like a good idea? Like, one thing that I know I've, I've heard recently, I don't know if you've heard, um, that Dax Shepard relapsed after six, yes. 16 years of, of sobriety. I think I seen he had 12 days today as of the day we shoot, we're shooting this, I think. Yeah, yeah. He's, uh, he's uh, in, in recounting. Right, yeah, which, you know, he should. But it's sure. it's crazy to me that uh, you know it's just it's it's a reminder that you know we can all find ourselves in this situation and that's one of my biggest fears is like finding myself in a situation where I need to take pain pills mm-hmm. and then boom you know like right 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 into the same situation so like thank God that hasn't happened yet you know fingers right. crossed like maybe it will never happen but at the same time like it's it's in my best interest to constantly live in the solution right and and you know and hopefully keep that at bay as long as possible practice right practice practice yeah Mm -hmm. for sure you know and so creating a creating a lifestyle around the solution is is always a good idea you know when when we get out and we start getting uh sobriety under our belt getting some successes getting some wins and we start finding out you know, what does work? You know, what are, what are other people doing? What's not working, you know, and experimenting with your life and um, coming up with who, you know, who do you want to be in this lifestyle? You know, the sobriety lifestyle and, you know, kind of taking even the failures as if there is such a thing as a win. Because for me... Uh, Everything, everything in my life still boils down to, did I go to bed sober? Good. Still. Great. You know, like, like, cause I can fuck up a lot during the day. Right. And I'm super grateful that I don't have to start my time over just cause I'm a fuck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Right. Because I, you know, you know, 30, 30 plus years of, of dysfunctional living isn't wiped away with mm-hmm. a few years of sobriety. You know, it's, it's a, it's an interesting, it's fun, painful road of growth, you know? And the neat thing is, is that we get to write it, you know, we get to write what works for us, you know, as long as I can put on the board of this does not work, alcohol, drugs, promiscuous sex, violence, they do not work for me. They do not create a lifestyle that I want. 
And so everything else is kind of free game. And I can start experimenting with those things and, and start putting some other stuff on what does not work. And I end up with a, with a big basket of things that do. Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And a big basket of things that don't. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, well, yeah. I feel like my don't pile is getting larger and larger. Yeah. Figuring out more it, and more of what doesn't work. Yeah. And, you know, and, and when, when I find something that does, I just want to keep doing it. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't, it's hard. It's, you don't want to move past it or let go of it. Like, um, because there's always that risk. There's always that fear. Like, man, if I let go of, if I, if I stop doing this for even a minute, like who knows, oh. who knows what'll happen? Yeah. Hence burpees. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. My friend. Well, <clears throat> I want to, uh, I want to get into our war story a little bit because Alyssa, I think, uh, probably knows a little bit of what we're talking about yeah. when we talk about surrender. Yeah. Um, she was great. She is a preschool or a principal principal principal. Yeah. Um, from Ohio and, uh, she was, she was great, man. Yeah. I, 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 I appreciate, I appreciate the women in sobriety that get sober and carry a strong message of life afterwards. Mm -hmm. I think it's so great. Yeah. And just another reminder that, you know, alcoholism doesn't look like we think it might. No. And she talks about that, you know, like she, she didn't, she didn't fit in any of the boxes that, that identify alcoholic. Yeah. The hobo under the bridge is how how I always hear it. You know, I always think about the guy under the bridge, the gutter drunk. Right. Exactly. You know, but a person's bottom is their bottom and pain is pain. Yeah. You know, I don't get to call it trauma. Trauma is trauma. And, you know, she talks about the things that happened in her life that got her to a place where she realized that she is seriously damaged, yeah. you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and dangerous. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And I always really appreciate hearing from, uh, from, from mothers. I think that Oof. there's a lot of, there's a lot of mothers that, that struggle with, you know, alcoholism or drug abuse. And I think that, you know, it's, it's, it's good to know that there is hope, you know, in that instance and, and hearing her talk about her relationship with her children is just beautiful. Like I, I won't spoil it for the audience. So we'll Not just, we'll just get into it and, uh, and let everybody have a listen. So without further ado, here is Alyssa's war story. Hey there, thanks so much for having me on. Um, my name is Alyssa Adkins and I am from Cincinnati, Ohio. And just this past weekend, I celebrated five years of sobriety. And <clears throat> first off, I wanna apologize, I have a cold, so it sounds, it might be a little bit more difficult to understand me, but um, I say celebrate because in our house, we do celebrate um, the five years. I'm a mother to three teenagers And um, they are very uh, familiar with their mom's alcoholism. It's not a secret in our house. We talk about it all the time. Uh, They can remember when mom got sober. Luckily, they don't have a lot of memories of my drinking, but uh, things happen in our house every single day that make me so grateful that I'm sober. Um, I could not mother parent these three teenagers in the world we're living in today if I was still drinking the way that I was. Um, The issues that they deal with when they come home from school with friends, uh, what's going on in the media right now, uh, the pandemic, 
uh, you know, Black Lives Matter, big social issues, heavy issues that uh, would not um, be things we could talk about, work through, um, emotionally digest if I was still drinking. So um, I, I say celebrate because as a family, we celebrate mom's sobriety and what's done for our family. And I'll talk a little bit more about that um, being on the other side of my hell uh, towards the end of my, my share here today. So <clears throat> I um, love that you call these war stories because it's very ironic to me. Uh, the very reason that it is, is I was in denial I had a war story because in my mind, an alcoholic looked, behaved, and lived a certain way. And I was none of those things that I used to define an alcoholic. So I can't really give you this gruesome quote war story. I don't, I didn't and still don't have any visible um, wounds or scars or defeats from my alcoholism, but um, I battled and I battled every single day. Um, the saddest thing was, is that I thought I, I, thought I was all alone uh, battling. I didn't think anybody else was like me. And it wasn't until um, I got into recovery that I learned the importance of looking for similarities and not focuses, focusing on the differences that we have in our addiction. As a kid, I had a very normal childhood. So we'll start right off with all the things that, that um, don't sound typical uh, to an addict. Not that there is any quote normal addict, but oftentimes I personally have heard in meetings, you know, uh, exposure to some, some addicts in the family or mental health issues or dysfunction of some kind, not all of us, um, but some, and I didn't have any of those. We had a very normal childhood. I had one sister, my parents are still married, um, middle class, we had no major drama, um, no abuse, no dysfunction. Like I said, I was a good student, um, goody two shoes in a way. Um, in high school, I didn't really get into any trouble. Um, I did some stupid things that teenage girls do, but it wasn't like I got stuck in the wrong crowd or <clears throat> got in trouble doing any major things in high school. Um, and then I went to college. I ended up living at home while I went to college. I commuted back and forth. But in those eight years of high school and college, I can count on one hand how many times I drank. Um, I was not a party girl. And again, that's very atypical um, from some of the stories we hear in meetings and alcoholics. So because I didn't have this really thick, ugly, alcoholic, partying, drinking background, when my drinking did take off and become a real problem, I was in denial because I didn't believe I had all these prerequisites <clears throat> that I have defined. They're not defined, they don't, that's not the true mark of an alcoholic, but that's what I have created it to be in my mind. So I go to high school and college um, and all through that time, I was really driven. You know, I had this, this picture in my mind of what a perfect life would be um, as a grown up. And to me, that was, you go to school, you get a good job, you get married, you have a family. And I did those things in that order. Um, as soon as I graduated college, I met my husband and uh, we years, incredibly healthy marriage. Um, we had three kids under the age of three. Um, so I had three babies and that right there could, could really explain a lot of my drink, early drinking. 
Um, but then I scored my dream job. I had gone to school for four years to be an elementary teacher. And then I got two years, the master's um, as an administrator. And before I was 30 years old, I had landed the role of an elementary, a head elementary principal, which was something I was really proud of for my age. And I had, I had all the things, all the things that we are taught in society define being a grown up. You know, I got married, I had children, I had the house, we were financially secure, I had my dream job. Um, Yet, when I looked around at life, I was miserable. I wouldn't have said that then, it's not until later now that I realize um, how sad and and lonely I felt. And my husband and I were great, we still are great. Um, I couldn't at the time put my finger on it. So what I did back then is what I'd always done my whole life, anytime things weren't going the way that I should. I thought they should. I evaluated and determined that I obviously wasn't trying hard enough or working hard enough and I needed to do better. So unfortunately, it was um, about the time I started comparing myself to other moms. Um, I compared myself to my male coworkers. Um, I compared myself to women at church, you know, who sang in the choir or taught Sunday school. And um, those were things I just wasn't interested in doing. Um, other moms were hosting these play dates and having these fancy birthday parties, you know, studying how to do all these things on Pinterest. And none of that interested me. And I just thought, gosh, I'm this horrible mom. And and I clearly can't balance parenting and full time work. And I just everything about my life, I started feeling less than and unworthy and insecure, things that I'd never felt before. Coincidentally, about that time, um, it was it was winter. And up until this point, my husband and I had drank socially, you know, on weekends. We might go three weeks without drinking on a weekend. We drink when we went out with friends or so on. We may have a bottle of wine in the house for weeks at a time before we touched it. Um, but this one winter, things changed. I was in the middle of these really dark feelings about myself. My kids were really little and um, he was home um, for winter break. He would take off that same week I was off and we'd put our kids to bed that night and um, we had cocktails at, at home. We always drink at home. And that night for the first time ever, I remember going to bed and not having any of those feelings of self-doubt um, or in, you know, feeling like I needed to try harder, feeling less than. And so I remember the turning point from that point forward. I wanted to recreate that every night. I wanted to feel better about myself and confident and not stressed and at peace. And so I was trying to come up with reasons to have happy hour at night and to make a long story short and not to drag out my quote drunk a log. Um, this, this went on and uh, what started out as, as a cocktail at night, over the course of two or three years began um, to be two bottles of wine a night. And all the things I swore I'd never do, I started to do. Um, I was hiding my drinking from my husband or thinking I was hiding it. Um, I was lying about it. I was uh, craving it all the time. In fact, when I woke up in the morning, I do what I would do what we all do in the morning. We mentally play through our day, the schedule, the things we have on our agenda. And if I realized in the morning that that evening I would have an obligation um, for work or my kids would have an event at school that would keep me 
from being able to start drinking when I wanted to start drinking, I would be bitter and bitchy all day long. And these feelings and emotions just escalated. I was irritable. Um, I was discontent, um, restless all the time. And I couldn't go anywhere without having a buzz first. Um, I was stereotypical. I had to drink to get ready to drink. Um, any social event, whether it was family, a kid's birthday party, work, um, work events, I would have to drink to get ready to interact with people. And it really came down to all these feelings, um, uh, these insecure feelings, low self-confidence I had about myself. And I can't really define why other than I was comparing myself to everyone around me and just didn't feel like I was good enough anymore. And the drinking relieved those feelings. It took away um, all the self-doubt and it made me feel which is funny saying this in sobriety, but it made me feel more important, more confident, more social, more talkative, funnier. Um, I, I just, I felt better about myself. Quickly, it escalated. And uh, like I said, not only was I obsessing over it all day, but I was, I was lying about it. It was affecting our relationship, my husband and I. Um, but I refused to accept that I might be an alcoholic. And the reason was this. I wasn't going to happy hour every day. I wasn't closing down the bars. I wasn't going in late to work. I wasn't missing work. I wasn't, I'd never gotten a DUI. I hadn't been arrested. You know, I had this whole laundry list of things that I felt like qualified you as an alcoholic. And because I hadn't checked any of those boxes, I wasn't that. And so because I wasn't willing to accept that I had a problem, I wasn't willing to consider I needed help, that I needed treatment. So what did I do? I tried to control it on my own. I tried to get it under control and stop drinking on my own. And the more, the harder I tried to stop, the harder I failed. The harder I tried to stop, the more I drank to deal with those feelings of failure. You know, I tried to only drink on weekends. I tried to only drink on holidays or come up with, um, you know, a justifiable reason to drink during the week. You know, Tuesday all of a sudden became Taco Tuesday because then we could drink margaritas, you know holidays, Columbus Day is a holiday. You know, I, I always had an excuse to justify why I wouldn't be able to make it to that that time when I, I'd allowed myself to drink. I couldn't go 24 hours without drinking. My favorite strategy, the most genius of all, was that I decided I was going to stop drinking wine and only drink hard liquor. Because if I only drank hard liquor, then I would drink less. And let's just say at the end of my drinking career, I was draining a bottle of Tito's every 48 hours, vodka tonics at night from the time I came home from work, passing out by eight o'clock on the couch in front of my three small children. And, you know, it was ugly. And I can't to this day tell you that there was this one big monumental event that caused me to get sober. Um, Oftentimes when I tell my story, I'm told I have a high bottom. But at the same time, there was a turning point. And that was in the summer of 2015. Um, my husband was traveling from, for work, which is rare. He doesn't travel a lot. And I used to look forward to those trips because it meant I could drink as much as I wanted all weekend at home. Kids were safe. I would drink all weekend. He wasn't there to police me. One of those times, I called him from the car and I was drunk. And he knew I was on my way to pick up my kids, our kids. And he was scared to death. And we live in Ohio. He was in Minneapolis. Um, And he was helpless. There was nothing he could do. 
long story short, my kid, my parents were able to get my kids home safely. Nobody was, was hurt. But the next morning when I talked to him, I hadn't really remembered our conversation and he was heartbroken. He was scared to death and he was crying. And I realized in that moment that the clock was ticking and that while he hadn't given me an ultimatum, I felt like he had every right to because I couldn't stop my drinking and I wasn't willing at this point to get help and it scared us. And so I admitted right then that, that what I was doing wasn't working and I was willing to go to go get professional help. And so <clears throat> to make a long story short, I went away to a recovery program, um, a private program for just women. There were only six of us. It was a small, a small place. Um, but it was there that I learned that I had a disease and that changed everything. All this time, I thought my problem was my fault. And because it was my fault, I should be able to fix it. And because I'd always been able to achieve and earn everything I'd always wanted, this one time I couldn't fix it or fix it and earn it and um, achieve sobriety on my own. And it made me feel even more like a failure. So when I got into recovery and learned that no matter how hard I tried, I would never, ever, ever fix my alcoholism all by myself. It was like this huge burden had been lifted, you know? And for the first time, I didn't feel so alone. I didn't feel so different from what I had coined your stereotypical alcoholic. Instead, in recovery, I found I had so much in common with so many other addicts. All the things that we all talk about, the mental obsession, the mental gymnastics over how and when we're going to get our next drink or our next fix and how we're going to hide it and how we're going to try to control it so everybody doesn't know it's a joke because everybody else is. But us trying to control it and doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. You know, we all do those things, but I had never talked about them. I thought I was the only one. I thought I was so special and nobody would understand me. I realized that this whole notion of not being able to stop after the first drink, you know, why can't I just have one? I thought I was crazy. My husband thought I was crazy. Why can't you just have one and stop? It's part of our disease. That's what that, that's one of the defining parts of our disease. And I found out there are millions of other people just like me. And it was this huge relief to find out I wasn't alone and that I did have a disease that I couldn't control. And once I realized that, I was willing to let go and ask for help. And it was the biggest turning point because up until that time, I tried to do it all by myself and doing it all by myself. I failed every time. But once I let go and invited other people to help me and was willing to accept support and teaching from people who had been doing it for so long before me, it changed the way that I thought. And all of a sudden I was more vulnerable and I didn't try to do it all by myself. And you know what? That has been the greatest gift in my sobriety because I've been able to use that and transfer it to parenting three teenagers because all those years I tried to live my life thinking I had to be perfect, that being a good grown-up, a good mom, a good wife had to look a certain way, that there was this way society had, had typed it up for us and that I had to fulfill that. And I get to tell my kids, no, 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 you know, we don't all live life exactly the same and we weren't all created exactly the same. And every single one of us has an imperfection or a flaw or a weakness. And that's okay. We weren't born perfect. We're never going to be perfect. And your mother's not perfect. And 
because of that, that weakness and that vulnerability, it's, it's allowed some incredible conversations with my three teenagers, conversations I wish all teens could have with their parents about communication and, and showing our weakness. Because if my three kids have to, have to go through life every day, feeling like they have to live up to a certain expectation or that they can't make mistakes or that if they do make a mistake, they have to keep it a secret for fear of hurting their parents or for fear of hurting the family image. Who knows what they will do to self-medicate? I chose alcohol, but they could choose to cut or they could choose, you know, my daughters could choose to be sexually, more sexually active than normal. They could get addicted to men. My kids could get addicted to food. My son could, or my daughters could get addicted to gambling. You know, we all have a need to self-medicate when we're uncomfortable. And me getting sober and going through that journey and accepting that I have a disease and, and, and knowing that that's okay and that I'll always have that disease and I'll always have to work to stay sober and take care of myself is showing my kids it's normal, it's okay, we're not perfect. Whether it's an addiction, a mental illness, no matter what it is, we talk about it in our family. And we also have extreme empathy and compassion for our friends, other families, our other friends, parents who also have those those issues. Because unfortunately, our kids live in a life today, and even us as adults, we'd be lying if we pretended we're not impacted by the false things that we see on social media. You know, the the fake things that people are putting out there. I was guilty of it too. And I get tempted sometimes too to post pictures of the perfect vacation or the per- perfect family photo, but it's not doing anything to help um, how I raise my kids and, and, and the life I want them to live and the people I want them to become and the conversations I want to have happen in our house. And I have to say that on my other side of hell, while I don't have any arrest record or, you know, physical injuries, I haven't been divorced or lost custody of my children. I'm so, so fortunate. And I was just days or weeks or months away from those things. And if I was to start drinking again, it's just a matter of when, okay, those things just haven't happened to me yet. But if I can say to my kids that, Hey, I, I, I got help because I was willing to be weak and vulnerable and admit admit my problem and that there's a likelihood you're going to encounter something in your life too. That was worth the bondage and the, um, the mental obsession and the fear of failure that I experienced all those years and that I know I will feel again. And I often get asked, you know, do you ever think about people that aren't in recovery asked, do you ever think about drinking? Do you ever wonder if you could have one drink again? And I know that I can't, Do I think about it? I absolutely think about it. We have a boat. Um, We take our boat out on the lake, something I never in a million years would thought I could do sober, but I've done it five summers now. Our kids play sports. We tailgate with our friends. Do I think about drinking? I absolutely think about drinking. When we travel, my husband and I go, just went away for an anniversary trip. When I'm on that plane and I'm anxious about being away from my kids for a weekend, do I think about drinking? I absolutely think about drinking. But on the other side of things, 
having five years of doing all those things sober and being present for my kids, being able to have those difficult conversations, being able to go pick them up from an uncomfortable situation at midnight, um, being able to console a crying daughter that comes home at night, her heart broken, and I'm actually physically and mentally present, being able to strategize and cope with the things that they're dealing with at school. I wouldn't trade, trade any of that to drink on the boat or on the plane or the glass of champagne on New Year's Eve or the bottle of wine with my husband on date night. I will never, ever, ever again take that drink because I know what the morning brings and the morning brings feelings of shame and guilt and regret and failure because I said I'd never drink again and here we are. I'll never ever go back to that as long as I keep working my program, keep staying connected to people just like me, the people that that watch and listen to this podcast and your channel and the great things you guys are doing, um, Instagram and social media, while it can give us feelings of, um, you know, comparing to each other and, and feeling less than, it also has created an incredible network support system, whether you have an addiction or you have a child with disabilities, you know, those are incredible places for us to go for support. And while I am a child, um, a student of AA and always will be, it's not for everyone. And it doesn't have to be for everyone. You guys said it best on your show um, recently that we all we, we all are working a different program. We're each on our, on our own journey. And I love hearing how everybody's different stories go and, and how all of us get sober differently and, and, and the tools that we use and the things that we've been taught because while I've learned a lot in AA and I'm still learning, I continue to learn things from people that are not in AA and, and the way that they've gotten sober and from their experiences. And if I keep doing those things and stay tethered to other people in sobriety, um, especially women, I think that I can stay sober. I know I want to. I know my kids depend on me too. I didn't get sober for them, but I'm so, so glad um, that I got sober when I did and that I'm able to live their high school career and their and college and, and be a grandmother um, all while I'm sober because the direction I was going five years ago, I don't think I'd still be married. Um, I'm not sure I'd still be alive. And I'm, I'm pretty convinced that I would no longer have a relationship with my children. So um, sobriety is, is the greatest gift you know, I never thought I could live life doing all the things um, without a drink in my hand. But here I am, and I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Wow. Yeah, I, I agree. I wouldn't either. Yeah. Trade it. Yeah, I really like how she said, I will never, ever, 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 ever. Because sometimes that's scary. Yeah. It's, it, it scares it's a lot a of commitment. people. Yeah. But, you know, like she, she said... As long as, right? Mm-hmm. As long as. And it's like, well, there's there's no reason to doubt that. There's no reason right. to say that you'll ever have a drink again as long as you do these things. Right. And I think that's, that's you know, one of the, the best things that we get from this way of life is we know that if we do certain things, we will get a certain result. Yeah. Even if that result is something we're not doing. Right. You know? And, uh, and so thank you. That was, yeah. That thank was you great. very much. I got, I got a lot out of like, I appreciate the education that she's putting in with her kids. Cause mm-hmm. that's, I identify with that. Yeah. You know, I really do. Like, I think that, that talking openly with, with kids 
your your own kids, other anybody that any kids that you come in contact with about your situation, what really happens when you put alcohol in your body or, or food or mm-hmm. what, whatever is going on with your internal, with your spiritual, with all those things. That's how we deal with it in my house too. Is is through open and honest conversation, what it was like, what it will be like, what it ha- how it happened. Like I just I love that. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Well, and they talked about you know her celebrating or a recent sobriety mm-hmm. birthday, and so it's like yeah, that I mean that's great. You know, like as a family, you come together and you celebrate that stuff, and you should like it's important. I think so, and I think I think that it's great that she has that relationship with yeah. with her children. And she talked about, you know, like, again, sort of not maybe being in denial of of being an alcoholic just because she wasn't all these things. Yeah. Right? And, and I, I really appreciated that because I think to a certain extent, I definitely did that myself, you know, at first. Because I went to an AA meeting like way before I actually, you know, had treatment. Uh-huh. And, and it was just like. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not these guys. Nah. I'm not the. Can you I'm believe not, this horse shit? I'm not that bad. Yeah. Apparently, I, I felt like I was out of place because I didn't have a handlebar mustache. <laughs> yeah, the alcoholic does not look like the under the bridge all the time. Yeah, you she's know? evidence. Uh, you know, and I appreciate her honesty about the conversation she had with her husband, who was out of town while she was going to pick up her kids mm-hmm. drunk. You know, and I can only imagine what, how that would be as a parent being, feeling that powerless Oh yeah, over, yeah. you know, cause it, it's, it's a possibility in my own home. You know, mm-hmm. my wife is an alcoholic and drug addict and, and relapse happens, but I, I don't think she will relapse anytime soon as long as, as long as, you know, yeah. she keeps doing those things, but success is such a beautiful thing. And, and I love that, uh, she, is committed to continuing her process through AA and, and helping other women. And, you know, that she got the help that she needed through a women's only treatment place. Like mm-hmm. I think, uh, I, and I've shared it before. I think gender specific meetings and gender specific groups and, and, and things like that are very helpful in the recovery movement. I mean, absolutely. You know, yeah, that's, uh, it's my, my favorite meetings are always men's meeting. It's just, it's for me personally, like it's, it's because I've never been able to really talk that way with men. So it's, it's, it's almost like a growth thing for me. Mm-hmm. It's like, I need to be able to communicate openly and honestly about this with other men, mm-hmm. you know? And so I, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm just really grateful that she got the help she needed. That yeah. She had a high bottom, you know, like it, yeah. it, it takes what it takes. And and I'm I'm glad that she finally got to that place where she was going to surrender. Yeah, high high bottoms are are weird. Pain is pain. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it is it. Your your pain is your pain. You know, uh, I don't know that there is such thing as a high bottom. Bottom is bottom. Bottom, yeah, it's just a bottom. It's all the bottom. You know, yeah. And I I think that's what she was alluding to is yeah. that a bottom is a bottom. Yep. And and enough is enough. And when when the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the fear of change, we seem to become willing yeah. to surrender. <laughs> ah, great. Well, what an awesome way to round it out. And, 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 and thanks again, Alyssa, for, yes. uh, for your, uh, your contribution to the show. Your compliments and about we, the show. Yeah, it was really nice. Um, 
we're, we're glad that you're watching and that you're getting value from it. And, and by the way, if anybody else is watching or listening to this, if you're interested in uh, telling your war story, we are interested in hearing it. We'd love to, to speak with you a little bit more about it. You can email us at the other side of hell at gmail.com or hit us up on Instagram. We're at the other side of hell 101. We would love to talk to you a little bit more about that. Yes. Yes. What do you think? What do you think of this show? Willie? Loved it. Yeah. I needed it. Me too. Every now and Con- again. Continue to surrender. Every, I, I got to have these these conversations. You know. Yeah. Keep me in the in the solution. Helps me remember how far I've come. That's right. Well, I appreciate you, Jordan. I appreciate you. I appreciate yeah. our audience here. Yep. And with that, let's wrap it out. Remember, guys, you are worth the work. We will see you on the other side.